Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central, and it starts right now. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscobing, and I've got a great show with a lot of great content this morning. Big news, obviously, this morning, talking about the NFL Draft. We'll spend a lot of time on the NFL Draft. We're a month into the MLB season, talk about that, and of course, got a lot of high school updates for you guys. Also have Ian Garen from Maori News coming on at 9 o'clock, talking about all the things, all the things in the world of sports going on around the Grand Strand, particularly Region 6 4A baseball and the chaos that has ensued there. So be sure to stay tuned right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Central. And as always, if you want to call in, get your thoughts out on anything sports-related, whether it's the draft, whether it's MLB, NBA, local stuff, what have you, be sure to call on in. 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. We'll off with the NFL draft and before we get to the draft itself and the picks and going through each pick individually and give my analysis of analysis on each pick talk about some things that happened this week and yesterday that shook things up a little bit uh or or Everyone thought one of them, or a couple of them, they did actually pan out and they did shake things up. And then the other one was the big story yesterday 
that ended up not coming to fruition. First off, a couple of trades that happened prior to the draft that did make some impact. Chiefs traded their first-round pick along with a few other picks to Baltimore for a tackle Orlando Brown and picks. And, you know, that's one of those the rich just keep on richer type of trades. Chiefs needed a little bit of help on the offensive line and out and got it. They got a veteran guy in Orlando Brown and didn't really give up too, too much. So, but at the same time, Baltimore also gets some help. They get that first round pick and they get some help there. So, a good trade on both sides there. Panthers traded Teddy Bridgewater to the Broncos for a sixth round pick. First off, oh, have the the mighty fallen. I mean, Bridgewater wasn't really considered one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but you know when he was at when he was in Minnesota, it was things that they could potentially build around him, and that never came to fruition, obviously. Uh, but now you know the the Panthers brought him in, thought they could potentially use him last year. That didn't turn out to come to fruition, and now he goes to Denver for a sixth round pick. That's that's a very low ball offer. Now, obviously, the Panthers, the well, obviously, the Broncos knew that the Panthers would probably want to get rid of Bridgewater since they now have Sam Darnall. So they understood that. Oh, we can get this guy cheap. Let's do it. So that was the that was the big trade. Uh, that was the trade for the Panthers, and that did shake things up a little bit because I think if they if the if Broncos now I don't know if Bridgewater is going to be their starter. It, it's going to be. Uh, I I don't know if Bridgewater is really starter material, but the Broncos were being looked at as a potential. Uh, option for a quarterback pick. They, you know, a lot of people were speculating that they take a quarterback in in the first round, but that ended up not happening. So it looks like, at least to me, you know, let, let, let let's look at their depth their depth chart for a second here. They have Drew Locke as their official starter right now. But I don't think Locke is, you know, there to start. You know, I, I don't think I don't think an NFL starter. Maybe with Bridgewater teach you know, teaching him in the background, maybe. But I think the instead of making that trade, I think they should have picked a quarterback in the first round. But that's just me. That That's my thought on, on the matter. Uh, I think the, the Panthers definitely get the bet. You know, I mean, a sixth-round pick doesn't really exactly help you all that much. But I, I think the Panthers offloaded a player that they didn't need 
And who knows? You may find a diamond in the rough in the sixth round. Look at Tom Brady. Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round. So it's you know it's it's not beyond the realm of possibility for that to happen. Now the big news that came out yesterday, or the big speculation that came out yesterday, all of a sudden at the eleventh hour. Throughout yesterday, people started talking about Aaron Rodgers wanting out of Green Bay and the Packers looking to move him and trying to trade, you know, trade Aaron Rodgers for one of the top picks. We're talking about San Francisco. Uh I think there were there were a few other teams on the on the table. But San Francisco was the main one since they were obviously looking to upgrade at quarterback and apparently talk did happen but nothing came to fruition and Aaron Rodgers is still in Green Bay now Green Bay is saying that Aaron Rodgers is their quarterback for the foreseeable future this has just been a huge huge mess when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and and we'll talk about the Packers later on when it came to their draft uh when it came to their draft picking because they were one of the teams that going into this draft I was saying they got to do something they were the team that I was saying you know that they're the team to watch out for to see what they do and while their pick wasn't a terrible pick, certainly they need some help in that position as well. They did not go where I thought they should go. And as a result, as a result, at least in my opinion, they have downgrade, you know, or not downgrade, but they have just made the problem even worse. Because it seems like the Packers don't know what they want to do. Now maybe maybe they legitimately try to trade Rodgers to San Francisco. And 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 they you know, the the 49ers tried to lowball them or something. But they weren't biting, which I don't get why. I, I would think, you know, with the third pick, the 49ers could have easily said, now, unless the Packers are wanting something extraordinary for Rodgers. Now, granted, Rodgers is the, the reigning MVP, so it's not like he's a scrub. But with the, with the tumultuous nature of that situation in Green and with everything going on there and and all of the the rumors and everything you don't want to try you know yes you want to get something for him, but now with the first round gone it's going to get even harder because at least at least before with having the potential of draft picks of a first round draft pick Especially if you wanted to do something. Now, granted, 
the Packers don't necessarily, you know, the the Packers don't need to draft another quarterback. They already have their their heir apparent in the wings with Jordan Love. But if you want to move forward, if you want to move on from Rodgers, you want to be able to get something for him. Or at least I would hope you would. And, and I would think that's what happened, is that the trade fell through because the Packers wanted a little too much. But now you set yourself up for the potential of if if this continues and Rodgers really says, I want out of Green Bay, I, I don't care. I don't care where I go. Then the stock of Rodgers, while the, while the stock in terms of performance on the field doesn't drop at all, the stock in terms of teams knowing, okay, the Packers are behind the eight ball. Rodgers wants out. He's he's going to create problems in that locker room if they don't trade him. So they need to trade him now. So now we can lowball them and see if. So that's something to keep an eye out for when it comes to this whole situation. Is is there the possibility that this gets even worse for the Packers? And we'll talk about, you know, the Packers and what they did in the draft in the first round in a little bit. But this is not a good this is not a good sign for Green Bay. And I think it's starting to get to the point where they're, it's getting to the point where who knows, especially after what they did in the draft, who knows how how much longer it'll be before Aaron Rodgers really starts making us think about it. And it seemed like that might be happening yesterday, but then never, never came to fruition. So it's a situation where this is becoming a very tense, very tumultuous situation in Green Bay. And I think and the impending chaos in Green Bay is probably one of the most interesting storylines going into the offseason, going into the preseason. Uh, in the NFL. What happens with it? Who who decides to bite first? All of that. Lots of question marks there. Uh, my thought... I honestly don't know what my thoughts are when it comes to this. Because... On one hand, I feel like if on one hand I feel like if you know on one hand I feel like Rogers is basically done with Green Green Bay. And it seems like Green Bay isn't really exactly trying to help Rogers either. So I 
on one hand, I feel like there's no way Rodgers does start in Green Bay next season. But at the same time, now with it being after the draft, I don't see where he could potentially go. And also, I don't see what the Packers could potentially get out of get, you know, get for him. Now, they could just use this season as a, you know, get Jordan Love's feet wet type of season, trade Rodgers away sometime in the summer for draft picks next season, and just use this kind of as a test run for Jordan Love, see where he's at, see where they need to go from here. Packer fans aren't going to like to hear that. But that, at this point at least, seems to be the only logical end to this whole thing. Now, whether or not it happens is is another question. This could be another season where nothing gets done, Rodgers stays in Green Bay, and just, and in spite of everything being put up against him, he still puts up great numbers. He still leads the Packers to the, you know, to the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that could create an, you know, here's the thing about, here's the thing about the whole thing in Green Bay. I feel like can go in three directions. I feel like this whole situation goes in one of three directions this season. Oh, four directions this season. Either A, obviously, you know, the simplest option is the Packers find a trade partner, find someone who wants to take him and will pay the price that they want for him. And the trade gets made and and Rodgers goes off to wherever in another Super Bowl, and the Packers start the rebuilding process under Jordan Love. Second option. Packers decide to hold off, don't make any trades, and Rodgers comes back and just does exactly what he did last year. Dominates leads the to the NFC championship game even if even without any wide receivers and it further solidifies that he can still play and it puts even more pressure on the pack to either A help him out in order to win a championship with him or B trade him away. Third option Rogers, you know, they don't make a move Rodgers comes back, but then struggles this year. And then the questions start building of, okay, is Rodgers starting to head towards the end of his career? And then that makes things even more interesting. Because then the question is, and, and it's kind of funny, it, that that's kind of, that's probably the worst case scenario for the Packers, 
because then they don't have the trade left. Then they don't have the capital of saying, you can get an MVP caliber quarterback only for, you know, uh, like three first round picks and, you know, whatever, whatever the Packers decide to throw out and, and want to have come back their way. The and, and that's also the worst case scenario for Rod because then it you know well but then again the question mark him to to get better. Then the fourth and final option, at least in my opinion, the most intriguing option to an extent is Rogers basically says trade me or else I'm not coming back. Now, I don't know exactly how it would work in terms of his contract and everything, but it could create a very uh, interesting, intense situation in Green Bay. And I know that this is kind of Green Bay's M.O., but especially after what happened between... Now, it, it worked out. Granted, it worked out for Green Bay with Rodgers. But with what happened with Green Bay with Rodgers and Favre, I'm very surprised that they did this. And not only that, yes, you're moving on. Yes, you want. Yes, you drafted Jordan Love in the first round and everything, and you're trying to build around him. You're trying to have the your quarterback of the future. But even then, even if you want to build around Jordan Love, doesn't Jordan Love still need help? Why would it hurt you to draft a wide receiver, to draft some offensive line help? I don't get it. I don't get it at all. This is talking about last year, talking about this year thus far. We'll talk about specific draft picks and whatnot in a little bit. This whole situation with the Packers, in my opinion, probably the most interesting story in in the NFL right now. Uh, there are a lot of other very interesting stories uh, going on as a result of the draft, uh, and we will talk about them uh, in just a little bit. Because when we come back from the first break, we will down all of the uh, picks, all, all of the different picks from the uh, first round of the NFL draft. Talk about the not so surprising. The very surprising and the, okay, I, I see you, specific team. Uh, talk about that. Uh, then after that, we'll, we'll talk about the first round for the next half hour coming off of the break. And then the top of the hour, at the top of hour number two, we'll talk about the um, second round, get you ready for the second round tonight. 
uh, and talk about some of the diamonds in the rough in the second round. Now, granted, second round, not exactly like the sixth or seventh where, you know, you're just kind of hoping for a miracle. Second round, still some very good players on the board. Uh, Still a lot of good players on the board, some very talented players that could make a big impact to an NFL team uh, next season. And, uh, yeah, and then we'll talk about the MLB after a month uh, into the regular season, talk about uh, high school baseball and the chaos that has happened there. Talk some college football, some interesting news and notes coming out of the college ranks this week. Uh, and I'll be talking about uh, college, or excuse me, talking about high school sports, primarily baseball. Talk about the chaos that's occurred in Region 6 4A here on the Grand Strand. Uh, so lots of fun things to talk about this morning. And as always, if you want to get your thoughts in on anything sports-related, whether it's the draft, whether you want to talk about the draft, talk about the chaos in Green Bay, talk about what your team did in the draft, or talk about MLB, talk about college, high school, what have you. Anything you guys want to talk about this morning, be sure to call on in 323-784-784. 9681 is that number to call. Number again, 323-784-9681. We'll step aside real quick and come right back. We'll talk about first round, go through each pick, pick by pick, and give you my thoughts and analysis on each pick of the first round right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Rock star 
car Spend a lot of money on my brand new guitar Baby's got a habit, diamond rings and Fendi sports bras Riding down Rodeo in my Maserati sports car Got no stress, I've been through all that I'm like a Marlboro man, so I kick on back Wish I could roll on back to that old town road I wanna ride till I can't go Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. As we transition into talking about the draft itself, talked a lot about some of the pre-draft craziness in the first half hour, but now we will transition over to talking about the draft itself. And boy, was there a lot of craziness in the draft itself. But And as always, if you want to call on in, get your thoughts in on anything draft-related or anything else, be sure to do so. 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. Go through it pick by pick. Two picks, not surprising at all. Trevor Lawrence, Zach from Clemson going to Jacksonville. Zach Wilson from BYU going to the Jets. The one thing that was surprising to me, and it it was funny because I was just, I I was, I mean, I was primarily focused on the draft, but I was flipping through channels. I was flipping through uh, some of the games that were on last night, uh, the Braves game, the the uh, Hurricanes game, some of the things were on national TV. And... It was like eight oh five, eight oh six. And I was also looking at my phone to see, you know, get the ESPN alerts to see when I mean I knew I figured the Jaguars were picking Lawrence. But I was just waiting for the official confirmation. And I was waiting, I was waiting, I was like, Why why is this taking so long? And I flip over to ESPN and it and it's still showing that the Jaguars are on the on the clock. And they brought it down. I forget exactly how how low they brought the clock down to. But they took a lot longer than everyone anticipated them to take just to take the, the foregone conclusion pick. And it I wonder what are what were they doing in the Jaguars war room that whole time to just what were they just wait letting the anticipation build to start the draft and giving people more time to soak in the moment i i don't I don't know I would love for someone to ask. You know, whether it's uh, Urban Meyer or whoever decided to make that call, uh, say, why did you make everyone wait so long? 
Why do you why do you make everyone wait so long just to make the the obvious pick? It was it, it's an interesting question, but it's also kind of it was it's also kind of funny. I would it it, it was a funny little moment last night. Uh, Jets take Zach Wilson from BYU again. Another one that a lot of people were speculating on, or. A lot of people were thinking, oh, Zach Wilson is definitely going to be the pick. And he turned out to be it. Now comes, now we get to the crazy part. Everyone questioning, okay, where where do the 49ers go? Do they take Trey Lance? Do they take Justin Fields? Who do they take? Or, excuse me, not Justin Fields. Do they take Lance or do they take Mac Jones? Justin Fields wasn't on their radar, apparently. Uh, but the but I was right. The Forty ers decided to take Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. Mac Jones, don't get me wrong. Mac Jones is a great quarterback. He's a he's a great talent. But I think for the Forty ers I think Trey, well, out, out of the options that I had, let me put it that way, because I still don't understand it, and I still don't agree that, that with them moving on from Garoppolo. And I'm really hoping for a number of reasons that they trade Garoppolo back to New England. And and I, I hope that they figure out a way to get it done. I have a feeling Belichick is gonna figure out a way to get it done. And we'll just and we're just gonna have to wait and see what how that happens. But it's it is going to be very interesting to see what happens there now. Because some people have been saying that, you know, Lance sits behind Garoppolo for a year. But I don't I don't see that happening necessarily. I don't see Garoppolo wanting to stay, teach his replacement. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but out of the two picks that that I that everyone was speculating on, I do think this is the right pick. He has a lot of upside, uh, and he's he's more of the modern quarterback. And no matter no matter what your opinion is on it. I I'm on the fence about it because I've always kind of, you know in the past I was a traditionalist when it came to quarterbacks but you see the likes of you know even going as far back as the mid 2000s and and Michael Vick and while he didn't pan out and and is now being talked about in a different position but uh, you know, the likes of Tim Tebow and some of the earlier pioneers of this style. Now it seems like, with a few exceptions, obviously the veteran guys aren't aren't this way. But when you're drafting a quarterback to build your team around in the modern era, you need him to be a dual threat guy now. There is no such thing. You know, Mac 
that was one of the big criticisms of Mac Jones is that he's a primarily a pocket pa- a pocket passer quarterback. That's not the way the game works anymore. You have RPOs, you have regular read options that they run in the NFL, which, you know, going back even even five years ago, uh, but certainly ten, ten years ago was unheard of in the NFL. You know, the read option game was the was the college game. And defenses knew how to shut it down in the NFL. So you saw it. And and yes, every quarterback who comes into the NFL, they do need to learn that they need to be more pass first more than run first. But I think that Lance will be able to learn that. I think he's already kind of there a little bit, but I think he will certainly get there. So... I will say good pick, well done for the 49ers with Trey Lance. And and also the fact that they thought they'd go Mac Jones. But I, I, I called it. I, I called Trey Lance last week. Falcons take Kyle Pitts from Florida. This is a great pick, I think. Uh, the question, though, now is, how much does Matt Ryan have left in the tank? And is this enough to help them get back to their winning ways that they had a few years ago? I think they still need help on the defensive side. But they still need help on the defensive side, and they'll try to get it throughout the remainder of the draft. But this is a good first step, I think. Eagles help out their young quarterback. Now, a lot of people have questioned this move. Understand why. I can understand why they they have to an extent. But at the same time, yes, Yes, they can get uh they can um get help on the Yes, they maybe should have taken this alignment to help with uh with protecting Burrow. But I think this is still a good pick and I think they can get a I think they can still get a very good offensive lineman to protect Burrow later on in the draft. So I'm not going to knock this draft pick as much as a lot of other people have been, but and it reconnects with one of his wide receivers from LSU. Uh, and so I think I think this is a good move, personally. This is a good move. Uh, again, you can make the criticism about wanting to protect Burrow more, but I'm at least giving the Bengals the chance to see if this helps them. 
The Dolphins at six drafted Jalen Waddle, and this one I was surprised at personally. It's a good pick. Don't get me wrong. But you're going to pick Waddle, another Alabama wide receiver, over the Heisman Trophy winner? You had Devonta Smith on the board still take Waddle? They must, I, I mean, and I understand Tua has played with both of them. So either way, you're connecting two former teammates. But I don't quite understand why, unless Tua knows something we don't, and, and Waddle will be the better NFL wide receiver, which I don't personally see. But that's just me. But I I was very, very surprised with this pick. When I heard it come out, I just said, what? Why would you not take to Smith when he's right there? And I thought that that was the, that was the clear-cut pick for the Dolphins with Devonta Smith right there. But they do get their wide receiver. They do get they do get a connection for Tua and they do get a fellow you know, a fellow former Alabama Alabama Crimson Tide for him. So there is that connection there. But I I'm still surprised at why they did not pick Smith. Lions picked Penai Sewell from Oregon, and, you know, good, pretty good pick for them. They're kind of in a building phase right now, want to protect their new uh, quarterback uh, in uh, in Jared Goff. Not sure how much this will help, but it, it does help. It definitely does help. Having a good offensive tackle come in, that certainly will help. Panthers go defense. Speaking of which, before I get to the Panthers pick, this was the first time in NFL in in the common draft era that seven offensive players have been picked in the first seven picks before a defensive player was picked, and that just really shows. And and not to mention having three straight quarterbacks being picked in the first three picks. This really shows how much the game has changed. Now, granted, you'll hear me say it all the time, and you'll hear coaches say it all the time, especially the, the ones that win. Defense still wins championships. But with the rules, defense isn't nearly as important as offense anymore. It's a weird paradox. I know. But it is true. Defense wins championships, but offense is your primary focus. Panthers take J.C. Horn out of South Carolina cornerback. And Panthers need help in a lot of different positions. I do think this is a good pick. I think this does help the Panthers. 
on the defensive end, helps with the secondary, uh, and they that'll help them in their rebuilding process. But they need help outside of Christian McCaffrey for Sam Darnold. We'll see if they get some help offensively for him in the later pit in the later rounds. With their pick that they traded for, uh, they get Patrick Sertain, uh, cornerback from Alabama. Uh, or excuse me, they they did not trade for this pick, but they had it. But the fact that they traded for uh, Teddy Bridgewater uh, changed changed this. Uh, they go with pa- Patrick Sertain from Alabama. I wasn't all that surprised about. Um, but you know. And and it certainly will help the Broncos, but like I said, I don't know if uh, any of their quarterbacks on their roster are the quarterback of the future for Denver. Philly made the first pit, made the first trade of the draft when they jumped up from twelve to ten to take Devonta Smith. Who you know, I that I think that's a very good pick for the Eagles. Uh, the NFC East is going to be very very interesting for for them this season. The NFC East is going to be very interesting uh, to see who takes the next step in, in that draft. Uh, or in that division. Uh, but I, I think that will certainly help the Eagles. The Bears then trade up, trading with the Giants, because I and this this trade I think happened at least in part because of Devonta Smith getting drafted by Philly. Because if Philly went a bit went drafted. Devonta Smith at 10. I think the Giants drafted him at 11. But the Giants decide to trade down. Chicago trades up to draft Justin Fields from Ohio State, the quarterback. And while, okay, this, the, well, this is what I'm confused about. Let, let, let's go, let, let's look at this for a second. The Bears. The Bears got Andy Dalton and Nick Foles this past offseason. They signed Andy Dalton and they and they signed Foles. Or well they had Foles already on, on their roster. And they sign Andy Dalton, who you're thinking, okay, he's going to be their quarterback. And, you know, yeah, Dalton and Foles aren't exactly the... aren't exactly franchise quarterbacks. Although they've had success in the league in the past. But then to trade up to get another quarterback? I I don't know what's going on in, in Chicago. Now, granted, they didn't do what they did a few years ago and trade up 
to not draft the the quarterback everyone expected them to and and reach for a quarterback this is a pick that you know a lot of people would have are saying, okay we can see why you would why you would want to draft fields I still don't fully understand what's going on in Chicago and I have a feeling I just have this hunch that they're going to screw it up somehow that's just me we'll see we'll see if they do or not but that that's just me that's just my thought on the matter the Cowboys at 12 take Micah Parsons linebacker from Penn State and you know they they dra- they traded down for this pick. This pick moved a lot. It was originally with San Francisco, then they traded to Miami in that trade during the off season. Then Miami traded it to immediately traded it to Philly, and then Philly during the draft traded to Dallas. So, uh, quite quite the move from for that pick. But, uh. Micah Parsons, I'm kind of surprised they didn't go with some secondary help, but they definitely need did need help on the defensive end, and that's where the Cowboys went. So a smart move there for them. Uh, like I mentioned, it's gonna it's gonna get very interesting to see how uh, how things go with uh, with the NFC East. Chargers take Rashawn Slater tackle from Northwestern good pick for them helping to protect Justin Fields or excuse me not Justin Fields Justin Burt that's at 14 take Elijah Vera Tucker from USC a guard and that's a good pick right there Um, they they get some help they get some protection for uh, for their newly acquired quarterback, uh, Zach Wilson. And then at the 15, at, at number 15, the Patriots decide not to move and their quarterback, which, if you really think about it, you know, Belichick is one of those guys that and, and this is going to make things very interesting when it comes to the whole Jimmy Garoppolo situation and Cam Newton. You know, there are so many moving pieces. That's the crazy thing about the NFL. And because of how much of it of it is a we need to we need to continue to move forward and we need to win now type of mentality. Quarterbacks that just a few years ago you were thinking were franchise quarterbacks are now suddenly on the deep back burner and trying to figure out where their next job is pretty much. You know, this pick affects two other quarterbacks. Because for one... The Patriots re-signed Cam Newton, and you were thinking, okay, they were going to give him another year. They, You were thinking, okay, they're going to give him another year to give him a chance to prove that he is 
still a franchise-caliber quarterback, and he can get back to where he was a few years ago as the the MVP-caliber quarterback that everyone, you know, a lot of people still think he can be. That's what your first thoughts were when he when they decided to give him a new contract, give him another one-year contract. But then the thought of Jimmy Garoppolo being traded by the 49ers because they were going after a quarterback, then you're like, okay, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback of the future for New England. Because New England is trying to look for their replacement for Tom Brady right now, obviously. Cam Newton, you you know, I mentioned last year, I was surprised that they decided to trade that they decided to sign Cam Newton because he didn't exactly seem like the type of quarterback that fit Bill Belichick's system. But Garoppolo obviously does. Mac Jones does. And now the question is, do who is the starting quarterback in New England? come next season. Now, granted, well, well, granted, this was different because he was a sixth-round pick. It's not like this where it's a first-round pick. And this is something that, you know, the Patriots never do, really. But could you see Mac Jones sitting behind, whether it's Garoppolo or Newton, for at least next year, if not the year after next, or at least this year, if not next year as well, uh, to learn. I could see it personally. Whether or not the Patriots do it is another question. But this pick, which I was surprised at, I did not think the Patriots were going to have a quarterback in the first round. But I guess, you know, Mac Jones does fit Belichick's quarterback style. So it makes sense on that level. But now the question is does it how, how does this impact where the Patriots go from here in terms of you know uh mo- moving forward on on the quarterback front. Is it still Cam Newton's job for now? Do they try to bring in Garoppolo, or do they move full frontal into Mac into the Mac Jones era? Makes makes the storyline in New England very interesting. And like I mentioned last year, when the when the Buccaneers won, Belichick's legacy is on the line right here. Because if he can't create what he created with Brady with another quarterback, then it proves. That Brady was really, you know, everyone talked about for years that, oh, Brady is just a system quarterback. You know, it's it's Belichick's genius that has created Brady. No, it was Brady's skill and Brady's greatness that made Belichick. Or at least that's how it looks like right now. And this year and the next few years are really going to prove which... One is the truth. So that was one of the more interesting trades of the draft 
Uh, that is for sure. Uh, and we're halfway through the first round. I'll take a quick break. Come right back. We'll go through the second half of the draft. Well, second half of the first round. Uh, and we'll move on, talk about the second round, talk about some other things in the second hour, right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Where it began I can't begin to know it But then I know it's growing strong Wasn't the spring And spring became the summer Who'd have believed you'd come along Touching hands, reaching out, touching me, touching you. Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central as we 
continue our talk on the NFL draft. And I actually, I, I always, be, because of primarily, well, uh, being both a football and baseball fan, well, being a sport, being a fan of all four major sports, all the other sports except football have three teams in their leagues. And so I always forget, I sometimes forget that the, uh, the NFL has 32. So we actually didn't quite get to the halfway point. The final, uh, the final draft pick of the first half of the draft was, was David Collins, linebacker from Tulsa, going to the Cardinals, which I think is a good pick for the Cardinals. They need some help defensively, help out, make sure that, uh, that they have leads. And and that uh, the defense can hold hold on to the leads uh, for uh, for for their for their offense. Uh, going on to the second half of the draft, Alex Leatherwood, offensive tackle from Alabama, was drafted by the Raiders, and I think this is a good pick. Uh, certainly helps the. Uh, Certainly helps the Raiders, um, you know, try to keep, um, you know, the 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 Raiders were 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 starting to play kind of well uh, a few years ago, and they may only be a few pieces away from winning, you know, winning the AFC. Now, granted. They're going to have a very tough road because they're in a very strong AFC West. You know, obviously you have the the Mahomes the the Mahomes led Chiefs. You have the Chargers. Broncos look like they're going to be the filler dwellers of that division. Uh, but you know, it's going to be a tough road having to face off against the Chiefs twice every year. Uh, the Dolphins. Decided to take uh, Jalen Phillips from Miami, edge rusher. Good pick for them. Good. Uh, they need some. De- they need some defensive help. Need some passing. Jamin Davis, linebacker from Kentucky. Decent pick for them as well. I thought they might have wanted to go offensive, but you know, good pick for them. Giants get the wide receiver help they need. Granted, they would have preferred, probably would have preferred, if uh, if Devonta Smith would have fallen to them one one pick away, one pick away before getting Devonta Smith. But they do get Kadarius Tony from Florida uh, after dropping down in the draft, and I, I think he'll be a good pick for them. I think he'll be able to help them out. Uh, Colts take Quiddy Payne from Michigan, edge rusher. Uh, you know, decent trade. I, I or decent pick. I think he'll uh, do well in uh, in Indianapolis. Tennessee gets some defensive help from Caleb Farley, cornerback from Virginia Tech. Another pick that I think uh, will will help Tennessee. They definitely needed some defensive help. And they get it with Farley. Vikings uh, get uh, Christian Darisaw from Virginia Tech, offensive tackle. 
that should help them out offensively. Make sure that uh, that Kirk Cousins is protected. Uh, Mich- or uh, Minnesota, Minnesota is kind of in an interesting position because they're the only team. While I certainly wouldn't say Kirk Cousins is a top of the line quarterback, they seem to be the team. At least in terms of, uh, you know, at least in terms of cohesiveness, and in terms of the organization, seem to be the most smoothly run organization in the A- in the NFC North right now. And you know, if they can get some pieces around, if they can get some pieces around Kirk Cousins could be a threat to win the NFC North, especially if the chaos in Green Bay continues. Pittsburgh, this is a great pick. This this is a great pick for me. I said it last week. I did not expect Nigel Harris to fall this far, first off. But Nigel Harris running back from Alabama, Steelers go with him. You know, Mike Tomlin has always been a guy that's liked having that, you know, ground game to take the pressure off of Ben Roethlisberger and the wide receiving core. I think the Steelers can, you know, the Steelers are going to have a tough road. That NFC or that AFC North continues to get stronger. But I think the I think the Steelers have a legitimate chance of being in contention this year, especially if they can stay healthy. And the big question in Pittsburgh is how long, how much longer does Big Ben have? How much longer is how much left? How much does Big Ben have left in the tank? But having a running game behind him and taking that pressure off will certainly help. Jacksonville in their second pick of the first round did something that no other team in NFL history has ever done. And that is take a quarterback quarterback running back tandem from the same college in the first round. They take Travis Etienne from Clemson, and I think this is a great pick, too. Now, granted, I might have wanted to see them go offensive line, get a little offensive line help. But having that camaraderie, having that connection between your quarterback and wide receiver, or quarterback and running back, not quite as big as quarterback and wide receiver, but Etienne plays on the perimeter at times. And he'll go out and, and catch balls out in the flat and whatnot. So having that connection already from three years at Clemson will certainly help Jacksonville. Now, I don't think Jacksonville will automatically make a big jump. I don't think Jacksonville will automatically suddenly become a you know a, a top threat in the AFC South. But do I think that they're going to be on the rise? And and especially in the South where 
you know, Tennessee is good. Uh, Indy is getting better, but they've got question marks. And Houston should be good, but has a lot of question marks. The AFC South, at least to me, is ripe for the taking if Jacksonville is able to get get their act together. If they're able to get the pieces around Lawrence, which you've already got a good running back in the draft, had some good wide receivers already. If you can get an offensive line to protect him, I think Jacksonville could be on the rise. I think they could have a chance of becoming a legitimate threat, not just in the AFC South, but in the AFC in general. But so I like the I, I like the pick a lot. Maybe personally, maybe I would take an offensive lineman to protect Lawrence. But having that tandem, I think, definitely helps. It, it certainly won't hurt. 26th pick, the Browns take Greg Newsom, cornerback from Northwestern. And I think this is a good pick. Browns needed some defensive help. They're good on offense, but needed some defensive help. That's a good pick for them. Ravens take Rashad Bateman. Wide receiver from Minnesota. Everyone said the Ravens needed to give get Lamar Jackson some wide receiver help, and they do. That I that's a good pick for them. Saints go with Payne Turner, defensive te- defensive end from Houston. This is a pick that you know, kind of surprising that they didn't go. I mean, granted, they're they're looking at Jameis Winston maybe as a quarterback of the future. For them, and with the top top quarterback picks all gone, it kind of makes sense that they didn't go quarterback. But you know, it, it's still a uh, it's still a pick. You know, it, it helps their defense. I'll give them that. It's a pretty good pick. And now, pick well, one of the pick. And I will admit, I will admit that all of the big-time wide receivers were off the board. But looking at some of the picks that are anticipated for the second round, that are still on the board, you still have Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. Still have... You still have Terrence Marshall Jr. from LSU. You still have Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State. You still have Daimani Diami Brown from North Carolina. You still have Rondale Moore from Purdue. You you still you, you still have well. This is a pick we'll talk about a little later. Amara St. Brown from USC. So there's still wide receivers on the board. Now, granted, as we'll talk about in a little bit, Packers could certainly take a wide receiver in the second round, which I anticipate they do. 
But I think they I think they should have taken the wide receiver here and shown that they really are trying to build something around Aaron Rodgers. Because I think this pick, even if even if they pick a wide receiver in the second round, a lot of people would say, oh, you could have gotten a better one in the first. And I think the rift is still there. Packers get some secondary help with Eric Stokes from Georgia, cornerback. But like I said, I think I think the Packers could have gotten, should have gotten a wide receiver right there. Bills go with some defensive help, which I think makes sense. Go go with Greg Rousseau from Miami, edge rusher. Ravens go with edge rushing help as well. Jason Oa from Penn State, and rounding it off. The Buccaneers, who are bringing all their starters back, who this is basically just, you know, extra extra help, also go goes edge rusher with uh, Joe Tyron from Washington. So there are your, uh, th- those are the first round picks. You know, obviously the big ones, Packers not going wide receiver. Uh, you know, obviously the, the 49ers pick. Uh the um the Eagles trade trading up trading up for Justin Fields, um the Pat, the Patriots taking Mac Jones. There's a few big picks that were kind of surprising. Um uh, now we'll move on, we'll switch gears, we'll do a quick little uh preview of the second round. Uh and then and then we'll move on to some other topics uh, at the bottom of the hour. Round two, Jacksonville. Jacksonville, I think they go get some help uh, on the offensive line. I think they're going to go with Liam Eckenberg from Notre Dame. I think they draft uh and get get some protection for uh for their newly acquired Tre- Trevor Lawrence. Jets, I think they take Trayvon Morig from TCU safety. He'll help out that uh that secondary. Atlanta, I think they uh they go with Christian Barmore, defensive tackle from Alabama, get more help on that defensive front. Uh, actually, I take that back. I think they're going to go with uh, Aziz Ojulari from Georgia. Keep it, keep a guy in state, a good edge rusher. They've seen him a lot. I think that's where they go uh, with that pick. Miami, I, I think they uh, go with uh, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, linebacker from Notre Dame. Uh, they're going to try to get some more defensive help. Philly goes with Christian Barmore, defensive tackle from Alabama. Uh, Cincinnati. 
Cincinnati, I think, goes uh, with Tevin Jenkins, offensive tackle from Oklahoma State. They get that help for Burrow on the offensive front. Carolina goes with Jabril Cox, uh, linebacker from LSU. Uh, get get some more help on the defensive side. Denver, I think they go with Elijah Moore, uh, wide receiver from Ole Miss. Uh, Detroit will go with uh, Richie Grant, safety from UCF. Giants will go with Jalen Mayfield, offensive tackle from Michigan. I think they get more help on the offensive front. San Francisco goes with Wyatt Davis, guard from Ohio State. Help out protecting their quarterback. Uh, Alice goes with Levi Onwu Zariki, defensive tackle from Washington. Get they they look to get some help uh on that defensive front. Jacksonville uh go with some defensive help. Get Asante Samuel Junior from Florida State, keep him in house. New England I think will go with uh Baron Browning from Ohio State linebacker. Chargers Get some extra help. Get a, get a check down guy for uh, for uh, Justin Herbert, and get Pat Fryermuth, tight end from Penn State. Las Vegas get some defensive help with Davion Nixon, defensive tackle from Iowa. Arizona get goes. Uh, Get some more help uh, on the wide receiver core. Get Terrence Marshall Jr. from LSU. Miami goes with a center protecting protect more and another fellow Alabaman, uh, Landon Dickerson, center from Alabama. Washington, I think, will keep a guy in in state from Washington. Elijah Molden from defensive back. Uh, Chicago gets some help uh, defensively with Tyson Campbell, cornerback from Georgia. Tennessee will get some wide receiver help, I think. Tylen Wallace, wide receiver from Oklahoma State. Indianapolis gets some more protection offensively. Uh, Get some more protection up front for uh, Carson Wentz, who he's going to need some help. He's going to need some protection. Uh, goes with Samuel Cosme from offensive tackle from Texas. Pittsburgh gets uh, some help for Big Ben. Quinn Minert uh, from Whitewater, Wisconsin, goes up, uh, gets a uh, D. D three, I 
want to say Whitewater is in D3, either D2 or D3 guy. At 56, I think Seattle will take Ifietu Millie Fonwu from Syracuse, cornerback, get some help on the secondary. Rams will get some offensive line help to protect uh, Matt Stafford, Myers, center from Ohio State. Uh, Kansas City will get some wide receiver help with Daimani, Diami Brown from North Carolina. Gets even more uh, help offensively. Cleveland will go wide receiver as well, I think. Uh, actually, I, hmm. Cleveland is, is an interesting one in that spot because I think they may actually decide to go uh, go with a checkdown guy. I think they'll go tight end in that spot. Actually, uh, I I think they go after uh, Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame. Uh, and draft him at 59. At 60, New Orleans goes after Nick Bolton, linebacker from Missouri. Buffalo, I think, will try to get some wide receiver help with uh, Rondale Moore from Purdue. And then Green Bay, like I mentioned, I think, you know, they're, they are finally going to draft a, quarter, a uh, wide receiver to help out with uh, Aaron Rodgers, Amon Ross, St. Brown from USC, but I don't know if it's going to be too little too late. It's going to be interesting to see if that, if they do end up drafting a wide receiver in the second round, if it helps kind of quell those thoughts of whether or not um, Rodgers wants out of Green Bay. Kansas City it, with the 63rd pick, takes uh, Dylan Radus, Radons, offensive tackle from North Dakota State. And Tampa Bay takes Aaron Robinson, cornerback from UCF. So there's my predictions uh, for the second round. Second and third rounds are tonight. And uh, next week, I'll give you the my overall grades. Uh, for each uh, each team, how I thought each team did, uh, and just overall my thoughts on the draft. Uh, give you all those thoughts next week. We'll take a quick break. When I come back, I'll talk some uh, talk a little bit of MLB, talk some college stuff, uh, and then talk some local stuff as. Uh, in a, a little over a half hour, Ian Garen from Iori News will be joining me, talk about a bunch of things locally, maybe talk about some other things as well. Uh, so be sure to keep it locked right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. And as always, if you want to call in, be sure to do so. If you want to talk about the NFL draft or anything else, be sure to do so at 323-784-9681. That number again, 323-784-9681. We'll be right back right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central.
Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central at the bottom of the hour. We'll switch gears a little bit after talking about uh, the NFL draft for the first half of the show. Talk about a few other things. Uh, First, we'll stay with football real quick uh, and talk about some college stuff. Not sure if you guys saw this uh, earlier it was actually last week, um, last Friday, actually, that it came out. It came out shortly after uh, after I went off the air last week. Uh, college football playoff committee is talking about options for expansion, have been presented options for expansion, and are at least looking into it. They've they've said that there isn't any decision yet, obviously, and a lot of speculation is saying that they may not be able to necessarily make any sort of expansion possible until after after the current contract is up for the playoffs, which is in 2025. But still, the fact that we are getting this talk of expansion now after what happened last year, and it seems like, based on the report, that more and more of the committee members are open to the possibility, that is a very good sign if you are a college football fan that wants to actually see a real playoff be developed. Now, granted, this still holds under the caveat that if they if they want to make it truly fair and balanced, it's not going to be they're going to have to put in stipulations if they do expand it, whether they expand it to eight and say, you know, all, all power five, you know, all power five conference champions get in one group of five champion gets in and two at larges, or if they expand to 16 and say all conference champions get in and, you know, they need to have some clear cut definitions of how you get in and how in particular, group of five teams can get in in order to make it legitimate. Otherwise, it's just expanding it without really changing the the system. So, I'm I'm hopeful. I'm I'm hopeful right now with with them talking about it and with them having it on the front burner it seems. I am hopeful that they get something done and they have it move forward. But I'm also kind of holding my breath on it. I, I'm i not anticipating it anytime soon. And I'm just kind of waiting to see what the what kind of shady thing they'll do next. Because everyone said that when they made the four-team playoff, you know, a lot of the optimists were saying, oh, this will fix the problems. And I kind of knew from the get-go that it wouldn't, but, you know, Maybe an eight team or a sixteen team, as long as they have clear cut definitions of how you get in, then I'm fine with it. Uh, after the spring game on Sat or on Sunday, 
Shane Beamer did officially announce. We we talked about this uh, last week uh, with the guys from the Spurs Up show. Uh, Shane Beamer did officially announce that as of right now, Doty is the starting quarterback for Week One. Not really all that surprising. Not not surprising at all to me that he is uh, that he is going to be the starting quarterback for the Gamecocks. In the fall, I mean, he was kind of put out of the air apparent last year anyway, and then he's shown up very well. And then one one other news piece on on, on college, uh, not sure if you guys saw this, and it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's politics 101, it seems, I guess. Uh, but very sneaky, the Florida State Legislature in a completely unrelated bill talking about charter schools decides to very sneakily sneak in that they're pushing back the start of the the NIL bill that passed the name and image and likeness bill that passed in Florida that was supposed to take effect in July of this year has been pushed back of to July of next year. Now this bill, this separate bill, this charter school bill still needs to be signed. It's been passed and people are anticipating that maybe Ron DeSantis may veto it specifically because of the NIL uh, provision in there. But very sneaky, very underhanded tactic by the Florida State Senate to try to sneak that in and and hope no one noticed. Uh, kind of underhanded, and it's kind of surprising because Florida was at the forefront of the thing you know, a couple of years ago, and now they're pushing everything back while everyone else is moving forward. So kind of kind of surprising and very sneaky and kind of disappointing. But I, I think it'll be taken care of, uh, though, and, and they'll make sure that they get uh, they get it all straightened out. We'll uh, talk about the – we are a month into the regular season for baseball now. Talk about some of the big storylines in baseball and go through each division real quick. ALE, the big storyline is is both of the teams on each opposite end of the spectrum. Because Boston, I did not expect Boston to be as good as they are. And I don't think anyone expected expected the Yankees to be playing as poorly as they are right now. They have won six of their last ten, so they're starting to get a little bit on, you know, a, on a little bit of a roll. But they lost yesterday, so they haven't really been. They're not able to really get anything going. They're completely even in run differential, ninety-two to ninety-two. And so, this is one of those situations where, you know, I think the Yankees will 
get better. They're going to bounce back from this. The bats are going to start coming alive. But it it really shows a problem with with modern baseball. The Yankees are built around an all-or-nothing kind of mentality on the offensive end. And so when the bats are hot, they're they're playing incredibly, and they're winning. But if the bats go silent for a while, then you lose a lot of games. And that's not good. You can't have that sort of that you you can't have that sort of team and hope to win a World Series. I'm just gonna say that right now. I I mean, obviously as a Yankee fan I want them to, to win. I want them to win a World Series this year. But I don't think they can do it with that sort of style of play. That's just me. But I do think I think as we get further into the season I think Boston will drop and and Yan- the Yankees will raise. Things will check out. As we see time and time again every year, that's the thing about baseball is, you know, it's such a long season and there are so many games played. You can take you you can look a lot into the first month, but at the same time it doesn't really matter all that much. AL Central again, another one that's kind of surprising. I did not expect Kansas City to be as good as they are. Chicago's round the t- their tails. I thought they would be good. Uh, but I did not expect Kansas City to be at the top of the AL Central. AL West, same thing. Another another game, another team that has been very surprising. Oakland has basically created a new version of uh, Moneyball. And, you know, this is something you rarely, you don't really see. The A's are 16 and 10. Right now, that's their record. They have given up more runs than they than they have scored. That's crazy to think about, and that just shows that you know when they win, they win small. When they lose, they lose big. It seems. And so, you know, will they be able to maintain this? Maybe. Maybe. That's good. that's definitely one of the most interesting storylines heading into the summer is will Oakland be able to keep up what they're doing right now. Uh you know, Seattle's right on their tails at fourteen and twelve. Angels are playing fairly well, Houston playing decently well, and then Texas in the ball. NL East, Atlanta is playing well, first off, the NL East what is it leagues or conferences that start in N and the Eastern division of them and being terrible? The NFC in football, everyone was under 500 last year. And now the NL East in baseball, everyone is under 500. I don't get it. I don't get it. But the Braves are in the lead or t- tied for the lead. In the NL East at 12 and 13 with Philly. And, you know, the Braves may be able to sneak into the playoffs. And don't get me wrong. They're a good team. They're they're a team I think can win some games. And potentially make a run in the playoffs. I don't think they're quite there yet to make it to the World Series. 
but this could be a good little, you know, uh, test year and a good little, uh, you know, dipping your toes in the water type of year for the Braves. The NL Central, Milwaukee's out in front pretty big, and that's surprising. Chicago has been horrible. That's been surprising. That's another division that I think right now it's early on in the season. You know, Milwaukee Milwaukee always seems to do this. Milwaukee always seems to play well early on in the season and then falls off, falls off towards the end or falls off in, in the summer. And so that's going to be the big question mark is whether or not that will happen. I think it will, personally. But we'll have to wait and see. And then the NL West, rounding it off, San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco uh, in the lead there, well out in front at 16-6. and six, or 16 and, nine. Uh, and then Dodgers, San Diego, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be an interesting division, uh, to watch the, uh, throughout the, uh, rest of the season as well. Uh, we may have, uh, we may have Ian Garen joining me a little early this morning. So just waiting on, uh, Weighing on him to call in, so we'll uh, we'll switch gears right here for a second. Uh, well, pretty much finish off the uh, talk of uh, the um, MLB talk, uh, and now we're going to switch gears over to the high school side for the rest of the show. Uh, going to wait on Ian Garen to join us. Uh, in just a second. But for now, while we wait for uh, Ian Garen to call in, uh, big talking point in high school uh, right now for baseball is uh, the chaos, chaos in Region 6-4A in baseball Uh there are currently four teams all tied, di- different win amounts because of different timing of uh, of the region games. But um, all four teams have two losses, and that's North Monroe Beach, South Florence, West Florence, and Hartsville, all with four, all all with two losses. Going to be a a big game or a big couple of games uh, for um, big couple of games tonight with North Merrill Beach traveling out to West Florence after being the beating the Knights on Tuesday. They travel out to West Florence to face them again, and South Florence will head out to Hartsville. Uh, after after beating the Red Foxes in a shocker on Tuesday. And we do have Ian Garen on the line. Ian, good morning. 
Good morning. The Royals are still the best team in baseball, so it's a great morning. <laughs> For now. Yeah, no, listen, you, you grew up in Kansas City. You know that these uh, these early season runs are, aren't all that uncommon. Oh, yeah. Everybody else around the country doesn't it, realize that we're used to disappointment. And obviously, 15 was uh, different, you know, things like that. But, yeah, uh, yeah hey, we, we gotta we got to celebrate the successes while we can get them, right? Yeah, well, Royals and Royals, Brewers, and Pirates seem to all have the same trend. They start off hot and then peter off later on in the season. Since you brought up your hometown Kansas City uh, teams, what what do you think of the Chiefs uh, and what they did uh, in their draft picks last night? Well, they, haven't, they haven't drafted. They, they haven't drafted oh, wait, anybody. You're right. Yet. They you're trade, right. They uh, didn't have they traded they didn't for have Orlando Brown fun. from Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I love it. I love it, man. The the only problem the Chiefs had last year was on the offensive line. Everything else was uh, minimal. Uh, I love all the Twitter hate that Patrick Mahomes gets for being a fraud. Are you freaking kidding me? I mean, come on. Uh, no, getting getting guys back, getting uh, you know. Uh, uh, getting the guy back who opted out. I don't even want to try to butcher his name, LDT. Uh, yeah. You know, getting him back is going to be huge. Um, you know, so yeah, no, I'm I'm happy with it. I'm 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 one of those guys that you know, Mahomes is the anomaly. Trading up for a guy in the first round is a big risk, and you know, why not get somebody who's proven for you know, uh, you know that's already that's already done it. It's already taking their licks, already knows their way around the NFL locker room, you know, fewer chances for mistakes, fewer chances for letdowns. No, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. I, I thought that the the trade there was a uh was a good trade and, and the like like I said earlier, the rich get richer for uh for Kansas City and the they're they're definitely gonna be a team that is gonna be at, uh, in the top of the league for years to come. Transitioning over to uh, the high school side, Region four, Region Six Four A, getting crazy on the baseball diamond. Walk us through all the different scenarios that match that you did so expertly on uh, Twitter earlier this week, and and what you think is most likely to happen. Yeah, I need I need one of those big uh, teacher style whiteboards <laughs> uh, to to keep up with this. I mean it's. Uh, Look, I mean, I, I've I've been cranking tiebreaker scenarios for years in multiple sports, and um, this region always, I mean, always has some kind of weird, kooky potential finish. And and I say that first because nine times out of ten, it doesn't come out to play. Somebody rises to the top, you know. Mm-hmm. Somebody pulls an upset. Um, you know, there's a spoiler game in there somewhere that kind of throws off what we expect to happen. You know, at this point, I mean, we're what? We're two, you know, two-thirds, you know, maybe 70% through the region slate. So, I mean, there's a lot of baseball left to be played. Um, you know, the thing that everybody's kind of looking at right now is can North Myrtle Beach, Hartsville, West Florence, and South Florence do what they need to do to – to all, you know, finish in that top three. Well, obviously you've got four teams there. Somebody's going to get left out in the cold. And so when we're looking at all these scenarios, you know, the ones that are 
popping up to me right now are, are tonight's games. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got South Florence and Hartsville playing. South Florence on Tuesday goes out and beats Hartsville one to nothing. And and while, you know, South Florence is a good team, what they did in that game was beat who I believe right now to be the best player in the region and Cam Camarella from, from Hartsville. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's the kid who – um, who shut out North Myrtle Beach in eight innings. You know, he's just a junior. He throws hard. He can get into the low 90s. He's got good breaking stuff. He's also their, you know, their cleanup hitter. I think sometimes they have him back to read, but, you know, for the most part, he's their cleanup hitter. I mean, he's just a really, really good high school baseball player. And and South Florence beat him, you know, and it doesn't matter that they only got one run. I mean, they then they turned around and they, they shut him and the rest of that offense down for – for you know those what I think I think it went into extras so you know yeah, I think it went nine if I remember correctly yeah and so you know if you can beat him in this region you can beat anybody in my mind and so there's no reason to believe that you know South Florence can't do it again tonight now I will say this is that you know West Florence beat um, you know Hartsville three to two in the first game of their series uh, a couple weeks back. And then Hartsville turned around on Friday and beat them 15 to nothing. So, you know, that's important because it's really hard to keep Hartsville's offense locked down for multiple games in a row. You know, I, I will say that something is, is kind of happening with that Hartsville offense. They, they only scored eight runs in two games against Myrtle Beach last week. Um, you know, Myrtle Beach has a couple of good pitchers too. And I kind of use them to, to segue here because Myrtle Beach is the wild card in all this. You know, they still have a game tonight against Wilson. I, I, I firmly believe they're going to win that handily. And then they still have to play South Florence next week. And then they got to play North Myrtle Beach the week after that. So they got five games left. To get into the playoffs themselves, they almost assuredly have to win all five of those games, if not four of the five, and get a ton of help. But, you know, look, they've got two future college pitchers, you know, mm. on their on their lineup. You know, Tyler Burgess has, you know, if if I haven't seen the updated stats from, from Tuesday, but, um, you know, last time I checked, he had an ERA under one. You know, you've got Austin Gordon, who's committed to Clemson, who's a Friday starter. You know, so I I, I have a hard time believing that, that they couldn't beat, you know, South Florence or North Myrtle Beach at least once, um, you know, when they play. So if they do that, then that shakes everything up too because the – first tiebreaker that the region uses is head-to-head. Now, whether that's two teams that are tied or three, it doesn't matter, but it's head-to-head. And then the second one is a, you know, it's a points tiebreaker where you get six points for beating, you know, the first place team, or I guess in this place, seven points for first place, and then you get one point for beating the last place team. So, you know, you want more wins over the better teams. You know, that's how you can win those tiebreakers. Now, if that doesn't shake up, which usually means that everybody beat everybody else one time or that, you know, in that tiebreaker where everybody has the same head-to-head record, you know, and then you go to that tie, that points tiebreaker, that doesn't work. Then you have defensive runs allowed, in the, you know, among the tied teams. And then the fourth one is defensive runs allowed for the all-of-region play. You know, so we've got all of these different scenarios that can crank out. And I think a lot of them are going to be settled tonight. And then really after next week, we're going to, we're going to know exactly what we're looking at going into that, that last week, because we'll know how many runs everybody will have scored against each other. As of right now, uh, I know some teams have played more than others amongst them, uh, amongst those four teams. 
as of right now, who who would have that tiebreaker? Obviously, there are still plenty of games to be played, but. Yeah, it depends on what happens tonight. The the big one tonight is the Hartsville-South Florence game because if Hartsville somehow wins that game, um, and, and I, I shouldn't have said somehow. I mean, they, they're very, you know, they have a very good chance of winning that game. But if, if Hartsville wins that game, then they have, you know, then they have two more series left against teams who they could very easily sweep. And so then what that would do is that would take out a lot of the tiebreaker scenarios, and that would put almost every one of them into Hartsville's favor. And the reason that would happen was, again, I don't believe the next four games on Hartsville's roster are going to give them any problems. And so if you chalk up those four wins, then what you're talking about then is they're either going to have a better record because they're only going to have a maximum of two losses out of the 12 games, or they're going to have the head-to-head tiebreakers. They would have a better record in any um, in any three-team um, any three-team scenario because one they swept North Myrtle Beach and then they would have uh, split with West and South. So mm-hmm. that gives them you know a clear leg up for that number one seed. And then what that does is it puts all of the impetus, all of our focus, on the number two and three. Which again, if that happens, North Myrtle Beach can sneak, or Myrtle Beach can sneak in a win or two, you know, next week. Then we're looking at another 14 possible log jam um, for second place because North Myrtle Beach is off next week, while everybody kind of catches up because right now there's two games ahead. Yeah, uh, like you mentioned, North Myrtle takes <clears throat> off against West Florence tonight. Hartsville playing South Florence. Can we see any of those? upsets tonight or do you think the the two or do you think West Florence and Hartsville will will get the wins tonight I'm not I'm not sure that North Myrtle Beach beating West Florence tonight would be considered an upset at all you know I think um you know look you got Cam Freeman pitching tonight for North Myrtle he's yeah. he's committed to Georgia Tech for a reason and West Florence already threw you know already threw you know George Derek Floyd on Tuesday and North Myrtle Beach roughed him up. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I mean, I, I wrote it in the story, you know, Tuesday night. I mean, they, they jumped on him early. He had a little bit of control problems, but they were hitting the ball hard. I mean, even when they were, they were you know, hitting into outs, they were really swinging the bats well. And if they can do that against Floyd, then they can do that against, you know, uh, Graves or Kelly or any of these other pitchers that, that West Florence may decide to throw tonight. So, you know, we could see – you know, another, you know, multi-run win for North Myrtle Beach, and I wouldn't be shocked. You know, again, if that happens, then West Florence is kind of on the outside looking in, depending on what happens with that South Florence-Hartsville game. We, we've we talked about it with, with football and with basketball, um, and it hasn't happened in either scenario, but especially with how strong – regions in the lower state and and how close this race is is there any scenario you could potentially see where the committee does decide to say hey you know a, a, a west florence or a south florence or whoever's in that four spot deserves the second at large bid out over a number three team in region five or seven 
Yeah, look, I, I I asked about this like crazy in the fall. I asked about it again uh, in the winter, um, and and I've already asked about it now with the the committee. You know, with baseball, everybody's understanding is they are not going to break protocol. And and I got to tell you, I think that that's a damn shame that in a year in which kids' seasons were cut short, in which um, we can clearly see that any of these four teams could be ranked in the state's top ten right now, and that any one of those four teams could go as a three or a four seed on the road because they've already done it. They've already beaten really good teams in the region all year that that we're not going to allow that exemption. Um, we have changed so much on the fly with, with all of our sports. And for some reason they won't change this. They won't even, they won't even consider it. And, and I got to tell you that there, there are very few things that, that, that really get me riled up about high school sports. I mean, I've been doing this a long, long time, but the fact that we have proved for 13 months that we can change, whether we think we're keeping kids safer or we're, we're setting up, you know, region schedules where teams are playing each other twice or in 5A three times in a week, and we're getting these kind of college and professional level um, series, and the kids love it, you know, for the most part, and the coaches for the most part love it. They know their tiebreaker scenarios after that week. For some reason, we can't say that the fourth best team in the strongest athletic region in Class 4A in a seven-team region, the fourth team is not good enough to make it. You know, Jeff Calabrese and his Hartsville football team getting left out of the football playoffs back in the fall for a James Island team that came to North Myrtle Beach and got absolutely waxed was, you know, look, James Island was probably very appreciative of getting in the playoffs until they got to North Myrtle Beach and it was a double-digit game in the, you know, what, toward the end of the first quarter. You know, you can't tell me, you cannot tell me that with everything else that we've been able to change, with all these other, all these other amendments to the norm that we've made, that we're just going to say, nope, you, you only possibly get three. These are four of the best <clears throat> baseball teams in the state. And I'll go as far to say that if Myrtle Beach can somehow get in to the fourth spot, that they, would, they should at least be considered. Now, will they? Probably not. I don't see any reason to believe that they're going to change this. I think they're going to give the third place spot in region six, four, a to, you know, the, the, give them one of the at larges, but you know, I, I, I see those scores. I see the scores from the Midlands. I mean, I know what these teams are bringing to the table. And, and I also know that I've seen these guys all firsthand now. And, and there's something, there's something special there. So I wish they would change it, but I don't think, I, I don't think that they will. Speaking of some changes, not for this season, but for <clears throat> next season during the uh, SEHSL executive committee meeting last week, they decided to add an extra week to the baseball season for next season. Uh, how do you think that's going to impact schedules next year? Yeah, I think a lot of the coaches are still talking about if they want to keep these um, these series, these you know one series per week um, when they get to region play, and I think that that'll be kind of the deciding factor 
um, again, most of the coaches I talk to like it um, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, like one of the things that gets mentioned to me a lot is um, let's say you're, let's say you're playing, you know, just take North Myrtle beach. Let's say that they, they play um, Myrtle beach twice, once at home, once on the road, but they're split up five weeks apart. Well, North Myrtle beach, you know, next year, let's say that Cam Freeman continues to develop like he does. Well, Myrtle beach now knows that they may have to face Cam Freeman twice in one season, as opposed to seeing more of a true series feel, you know, that is the knock against going back to the, the, the split series, you know, matchups that, that a lot of regions have had in the past. Um, you know, class five, a our local class five, a region did the series thing. God, maybe four or five years ago. And they, they really liked it. And then for whatever reason they changed it and they, they went back to the old, the old style and I guess there just wasn't enough enough of a push to go back to it until they were kind of forced to do it. Um, you know, that will dictate, you know, whether regions decide to do that or go back to the old way. That'll dictate, you know, whether things like Domingo Bay really goes back to a full expansion. You know, the plan right now is to go back to, you know, the 90-plus the teams over a couple different weeks, um, you know, playing in that thing. It's a huge moneymaker. You know, if you're – if you can lock in those region schedules, you know, where you can just block off a two week window and say, Nope, we're not playing region games. We're going to use this for Mingo. We're going to use this for non region games. We're going to use this for makeup games. Um, you know, I think that those are some of the benefits that you can see out of it. Do you expect that to happen or do you think, because there's a couple of other things that we've talked about before, about changes that happened this year that we thought should have stayed that ended up not. Do you think this is something that actually will stay or do you think we'll end up going back to the status quo next year? Yeah, I don't, I don't know because everybody has been exposed to it now. You know, this isn't just a very, very small sample size of what it, you know, what is now reason six, five, a do four or five years ago. I mean, everybody's seen this. Um, you know, in baseball, at least I know a lot of the softball reasons, you know, didn't, or at least a couple of them around here did not use that formula. You know, they just kind of played when they could, or they snuck in double headers or that kind of thing. Um, but everybody's seen it now, you know, everybody's seen, you know, the benefits, they've seen the drawbacks, you know, so I think they're having a lot more informed discussion as far as me guessing what I think they're going to do. I, I don't know. You know, I just, I don't know what, you know, a whole bunch of athletic directors and baseball coaches are going to decide on, on the back end. Um, you know, one of the things that's really, I think important to keep in mind is that everybody is still playing catch up. Um, you know, it was like a couple of weeks ago, you know, I was making a bunch of phone calls, um, on some football stuff for next year and I couldn't get a direct answer because everybody in the area was so focused on, you know, the all County track meet, you know, because they had never done a nine, a nine team meet before. You know, everybody, I mean, it really wasn't all hands on deck thing. So they got to that and then they're like, okay, now what are we going to do about, you know, the last few weeks of the rest of our spring sports? How are we going to get people ready for lower states? You know, things like that. So everybody's kind of, you know, playing that behind the eight ball game a little bit still. Um, and, I, and I think 
when they get to the summer, I think you're going to you're going to start hearing some of those discussions become a little bit more vocal because it's going to be really the first chance that they're going to have to have a formal opportunity to talk about it. Well, one thing that they did already talk about and they decided on that we talked about back in October about the potential of it either changing or staying the same or or what they should do that they did decide on officially during the executive committee meeting last week is going back to four teams per region for the playoffs next season. Was right. there any ever, do you, do you, based on what you heard, was there ever a chance that that wasn't going to be the case or was that always basically the foregone conclusion of this was an outlier year, we're going back to the status quo next year? Yeah, I, I think in a lot of people's minds, and when I say people, I'm talking about decision makers, people who can yeah. actually affect change, not, you know, schmucks like me who call into radio shows to fill time. You know, <laughs> I think when they got to it, what really, what what I think was their predominant theme was we have taken so many opportunities away. Um, you know, let's, let's, let's reload, you know, let's, let's go back to the expanded playoffs. Let's go back to, you know, more teams getting in and, and let's be honest, if, if you don't think that a whole bunch of, you know, district superintendents are talking about gate receipts for, you know, especially for football and basketball for next year, you're kidding yourself. You know, I mean, look, I did a story, you know, last week, maybe the week before time blends together sometimes for me right now, but um, you know, about, you know, the district, I mean, Horry County schools, you know, lost, you know, uh, you know, 280 K, you know, on, on gate receipts for football and basketball alone. And while spring sports receipts appear to be, you know, relatively stable, you know, because, you know, look, it's not like, you know, 500 people were going to high school baseball games before anyway, you know, yeah. so that looks stable, but there, there were significant losses in football and basketball. You know, they're, they're talking about, you know, putting money into, you know, a fund in there to, to kind of recoup, some of those athletic losses because that was money that was budgeted, you know, that's budgeted for travel. That's budgeted for uniforms, you know, insurance isn't cheap. You know, these are all things that need to be paid for, you know? And so if you can kind of, you know, satisfy, you know, two of the requirements, you know, one being let's, let's let these kids have more of their standard season and two, we can make more money off of it you know, while they're getting more of what they want, then, yeah, I mean, it made, it made absolute sense for them to, to make that decision. Now, again, I, you know, me and you have had this discussion, you know, are the, are the playoffs too watered down? You know, I, I think next year, I think you will hear more cries of that. You know, I think after people get into it and you see more of those scores like the James Island North Myrtle Beach score, you know, again, you know, when people are reminded of, yeah, maybe, maybe this wasn't, you know, this wasn't the best way to do it. You know, I don't know. Maybe they maybe they look at a format change, but until people are exposed to something different, it's it's really easy to keep that status quo. Uh, you you mentioned the whole thing that you wrote last week about uh, Horry County Schools and the the loss in revenue that the that the schools had as a result of COVID. Have there ain't been have I know it said that they were considering uh, giving out, you know, uh, reimbursements essentially for those schools for the losses. Has there been any further update on that? I, from my understanding, they're, they're talking about it on Monday. 
Um, I haven't talked with our education reporter, Katie Powell, in a couple of days. Um, but my my understanding was still that that's that's on the docket for Monday, and they'll they'll decide, you know, how to address it, um, kind of how to make those those athletic departments whole again, you know, without make borrowing and stealing from booster clubs and everything else. Um, you know, it's it's it sounds like a simple fix, but cutting a check for two hundred eighty thousand dollars, you know, to kind of clear those ledgers is is not an easy thing to do, um, even for a school district as huge as Horry County. Um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some intense debate on it. And then, you know, there's always going to be people that say, well, if you're doing this for sports, you need to do it for everybody else. And, and I get it. Um, you know, so those are just natural parts of the discussion that usually pop up. Uh, you know, there's, it, it's, it's not going to be somebody walking into a room and saying, okay, we're, we're cutting the check. You know, I can, I can promise you that it, it mm. will never be that when you're talking about six figures. Um, so you know, I think that they probably will, based on my interpretation of people's comments, and you know, seems like they had pretty decent support for it at least. Um, but again, until it happens, it's you know, it's just you know, it's another talking point. Uh, another big thing that came out of the executive uh, committee last week was uh, the football championship games being expanded to three days uh, in one venue. What are your thoughts on them expanding it to three days, giving more classification and more of a spotlight? You you cut out a little bit there, and I think I, you were asking about what I think about them expanding to three days. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't see any problem in it. Um, you know, one of the things that I like about it is you know we we've seen it twice in in the last three years where we've had two teams, you know, make the state finals, you know, luckily, um, you know, green C would play, you know, one night and Myrtle beach would play the next, you know, and um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the, the worst thing in the world for coverage standpoint, but um, in 2019, at least in, in 2018, you know, Charles had to cover one game and I had to cover the other because, you know, just because of how the schedules worked out. You know, I think expanding it out, you know, I don't think it hurts anybody. Um, this idea that everything has to be jammed into a one-day window, um, you know, which hasn't happened in a while, but, you know, there's no reason for it. You know, celebrate celebrate making the championship. You make a state championship in South Carolina, you've done something right. You deserve to be there. You deserve to be talked about. You know, and, and just from a, you know, journalistic sausage making, you know, kind of side of things. Let's say I've got one team that's playing on Thursday and I got one team that's playing on Saturday. Well, I can, I can do some preview stories leading up to that Thursday game, you know, give that team a little bit more uh, ink and and web space then cover their game on Thursday, Friday, I've got something else, you know, that's already, you know, filed away, ready to run Saturday. I've already got something that's filed away, ready to run on that, that team that's playing Saturday, you know, while covering the game Thursday night, you're talking about a whole lot more content. You know, you put all those teams on the same day, you know, you're talking about jamming in everything, you know, shoehorning it into a, a smaller window um, content-wise, you know, look, the TV stations deal with this too. Yeah. You know, so I don't think I don't think spreading it out hurts anything as far as the coverage standpoint. Yeah, maybe some people at the high school league have to have to work another couple extra days, but honestly, I don't really care about that. So, you know, it is what it is, you know, so yeah, spread it out, spread the wealth, you know, spread the love. 
Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that. Do you think uh because I I I don't know if you saw me uh talking with uh I think it was Jed Blackwell on this on, on Twitter, but do you think they'll end up going back to Williams Bryce uh next year or do you think it'll be yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure that my only knock with with you know Williams Bryce is just it's it's too big, you know. That there are very few opportunities where um, I've covered state championship games in Williams Bryce and it hasn't felt empty, you know. And and I've covered college games there, but I've also covered college games at smaller venues, and I've covered um, you know high schools state championships at, at smaller venues. I mean, Benedict, you know, was maybe um, a hair too small for a full capacity 4A state championship game. But given everything that we were dealing with in in the fall, I mean, I think that Benedict worked out really, really well, you know, for that scenario. You could still get some fans in, you know, distancing, you know, wasn't maybe as good as it should have been. And I know there were some pretty heavy critiques that came out after that game about some of the student sections and things like that. But you know, Benedict for a 1A or 2A game is is going to suffice as long as you're not dealing with two Midlands area teams. Um, so is there a healthy medium? You know, in my mind, the healthy medium has always been a rotating schedule. You know, finding a way to get some of the other college venues in the state. And, and immediately, you know, my first thought is, is Brooks Stadium. You know, I don't even think that most high school um, state championship games in South Carolina would be able to fill that place up. But I can assure you that you wouldn't have an upper and a middle deck that are completely empty. And then, you know, a couple couple sections of fans squeezed into the middle of each side, you know, like we do at Williams-Brice. I've covered games there in beautiful weather, and I'm talking about state championship games. I've covered games there in beautiful weather. I've covered it in nasty rains. And and it doesn't really matter. Place feels empty, you know. So if if the goal is to just let these kids play a game in an SEC stadium, then then whatever, then keep doing it. But if the goal is to really give them a better experience, a better fan feel, um, you know, to, to feel like you're playing in a big time game, you don't put them in an empty stadium. I, I can I, I can understand. Uh where you're coming from on that my my thought has always been because when when i was in high school in in jersey the the games were at uh were at the meadowlands and just that experience like you mentioned you know that experience of being able to go and and play on the same field that the giants played and and all that uh was a big deal at least to me so you know that's why I've always thought that Williams Bryce was the the best spot for it to be here. Uh, I feel like Coastal and Clemson, you're having the same problem of uh, where you're it's it's too one side or the other. Whether you're you know if it's here at Coastal, it's the upper state complaining that they have to travel cross state, or if it's up in Clemson, the the other way around. Uh, so that. Uh, I think Williams Bryce probably should be the spot to be, but it'll be interesting to see uh, what they well, end up doing. Counter, counterpoint to that: there's there's no further place, um, there's no further travel distance in South Carolina to get to Williams Bryce than than the eastern edge of Horry County. 
You know, so if you're talking about fans that are willing to go two and a half hours, what's another hour and 40 minutes to get to Clemson? I mean, nobody, you know, very, I almost say nobody because that's probably not a fair assessment, but how many more people maybe go to Clemson just for a different experience? I mean, I can tell you in, I, I believe it was 2010 or nine, I can't remember which one, when they played it, you know, at Clemson. I mean, Myrtle Beach fans showed up in droves. You know, you had Everett Golson. You had, you know, um, a high-end game. I, I think that was, I think that actually was Penn. I think that was when they played South Point with Jadavion Clowney. You know, people are going to go to the games if they want to go to the games, and there's very little difference between, you know, four and a half hours and two and a half hours, and that's if you don't get caught in traffic going to Columbia anyway. You know, so, you know, if you're going to do that, if you're going to say, you know, it's it's just about travel distance, you're 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 really adding minimal distance to that. Which again, I understand that that's kind of their their um, argument against playing it at coastal. You know, obviously, also coastal has to want to be involved in that, and they got to want to you know be a part of that. You know, you know. So again, people in you know Anderson, you know County, aren't going to want to have to drive all the way over to, you know, Conway to, to go watch a football game necessarily. But at the same time, if we're just going to gift wrap these state championship games to williams Bryce every year, then, then really then really make it worth everybody's while. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm talking about the, the, the full bore. I mean, everything that if you would see on a South Carolina game day, I want to see it at the state championship yeah. game then too. I want their, I want their media team over there, which is one of the best in the country. I mean, the graphics that they do, the, the online content that they produce is some of the best in the country. I want them involved in it too. Because, again, if you're going to say, we're going to do this to give you an SEC-type experience during the state championship games, then make it an SEC championship you know, appearance. Don't just make it, we're going to unlock the gates, let you play a football game in a stadium that is you know, 6% full and call it a day. You know, let's let's not half-ass it anymore. Let's let's really really make it worth everybody's while. Yeah, I, I would I definitely agree with that. Um, that they should that if they're gonna do it, they do it fully. Uh, you know, ba- basketball has had that same problem too. With uh, with, you know, a lot of people thought that it was better at USC Aiken this year than it was at uh, Colonial Life, and they're saying this year that uh, they're they have the option to go back to regional sites, but a provision was put in for potential neutral sites instead. What, after seeing both, and I know a lot of people don't like how uh, the Flor- the Florence Civic Center is anymore. What would you prefer seeing uh, between those two, and what do you think will happen there? If it comes down to the Florence Civic Center or anywhere else and, and they don't have an option, I'll put two goals in the street in front of my house. And we can play it here. We don't. Nobody needs to. Nobody needs to go back to the, the Florence Center anymore. Um, they've proved over the years that they're not going to put in forth any effort, any effort to make anything any better for anybody. Um, so that being said, you know, neutral sites can work. You know, there are enough venues in the state, and there are even enough really good sized high school venues in the state where neutral sites can work. Um, you know, there are places like USC Aiken, you know, there's the HTC center here, you know, you've got, um, the buck down buck dome down in Charleston that they can use. It seats a thousand people. Is it huge? No, but I mean, for a lot of smaller classification, 
you know, lower state finals, it could work. You know, it doesn't always have to be bigger to mean better. You know, I'm I'm actually on the other side of the fence with, you know, with South Carolina, with University of South Carolina's basketball. I mean, I've, I've covered state championship games there too. Um, the seating is is very well designed. Um, you know, it doesn't feel you don't have that empty feel like you do at Williams Price. Mm-hmm. You know, that that can work. Um, you know, for the bigger classifications. Um, you know, I just I think that there's. Again, it's kind of like with the baseball thing with the the fourth team making the playoffs. We've seen that we can change. You know, let's keep experimenting with stuff until we figure it out. Let's not just immediately go back to what was easiest and and what we knew before because now we know that other things can work. You know, like you said, there were hundreds of people that just raved about USC Aiken and the job that they did. And their staff was amazing and helpful. And, you know, everybody was – just feeling like they belonged and that they were being welcomed into the building for, for, you know, the, the last basketball game of the year, you know, so if we can see that from USC Aiken and there was something that was planned and executed in a matter of weeks, what can we do with months? You know, and that's, that's what I want to see come out of all of this, come out of the last 13 months is I want to see that people can apply the, just the simple knowledge that it doesn't always have to be the same. You know, we can keep making things better because that's that's why everybody's involved in this. You know, if we can keep making things better, if we can learn from the, the roadblocks that have been thrown in our past, you know, in our past, then then yes, it, it it can it can absolutely get better for everybody. One uh one other thing that came one final thing that came out of that meeting last week was that um and. Uh, was that they decided to keep the reduced scrimmage and jamboree schedule. Do you think that's something that's going to stick around, or do you think we're going to go back to the floor at some point of how many scrimmages each team should have each, each year? Just speaking in terms of football alone, I can tell you that this isn't eating up most of the football coaches. <laughs> you know, I mean, they their concern with it locally was – do we then have to amend the CMB kickoff classic? Because if that counts as a scrimmage and you're only getting 20 minutes of game time, then that's going to really hurt. So, you know, we could see an expansion of the CMB out of that. You know, Why that could be that something that it's football teams? You're, you're, you're breaking up again. Why, why would that not be considered a jamboree multiple teams playing at one venue? Well, you're talking about the amount of the amount of um, amount of time that you can have. So, if, if I remember correctly, they they get um, they get two they get two now. Is that correct? Yeah, two two uh, regular scrimmages and then one jamboree. Okay, so they did keep that part of it. So, yeah, I mean that's um, what they were talking about. But was before is if they cut it down to two. So that's what I was talking about. Oh, okay. So if they've got if they've got the jamboree language in there and it was finalized, then yes, then they then they can keep the CMB as it was. Um, the coach's concern was that if they cut it down to two, no matter what, whether it was a full scrimmage or a jamboree, that they would have to expand CMB. Um, so if that's the case, again, you're still getting two and a half scrimmages. You know, which again, the, the coaches around here are are mostly cool with with that. Um, because, you know, if you look at the calendar most years, you get three days 
of acclimation. You get, you know, a day or two in pads and then boom, let's go scrimmage. So, you know, in a, you know, a season like last year, you know, when they basically, most of the schools around the state were not having anything resembling, you know, full summer schedules. You know, they were learning everything on iPads back at their house. Um, you know, it was kind of a, one of those things where they, a lot of the teams saw really sloppy scrimmages, you know, and they didn't really get anything out of it, you know. So I think that they would rather have more time before day one of fall camp in that first scrimmage. And, and scaling back a scrimmage off of that allows them to do it without feeling pressure of keeping up with the Joneses. I know uh, I know Conway already put on their schedule that they are going to be in the kickoff classic, but have you heard anything on any of the other schools that may be involved in that this year? Well, it's the same. It's always been the same. Nine Horry County teams and then Waccamaw. Um, I don't know that anything would change on that. Um, my understanding is that they've got a handshake agreement that as long as they're going to do it, they're going to stay involved. And then uh, while not officially approved yet, the committee did discuss how realignment will be determined next year with a economic score slash poverty for 10% of the deciding factor. Do you know how that's going to be determined or, and do you think it'll have, probably won't have any impact around here, but overall, do you think that's going to have any impact on, on realignment next year? My my gut tells me that you better keep an eye on North Myrtle Beach High School. Um, they were they were real close to that 5A line, and I, I think the last time I checked, they were what would equate to the fifth or maybe sixth biggest team in Class 4A. Um, if there is a scenario where they are considered to be close enough, and there's a little bit of a drop, you know, I can tell you that. South Florence has, has increased in size as well. Um, they're they're right they're they're right around that same spot. Um, you know, so yeah, it, it could definitely affect. You know, say say South Florence and North Myrtle Beach moves up, well then all of a sudden you've got a six team region in that class four A instead of seven. You know, so that could lead to dominoes just like it did last. You know, last time around, you know, the big debate was West Florence versus Ridgeview. Um, Ridgeview actually appealed the decision to make them the last team in 5A, which bumped West Florence down to the biggest team in in 4A. West Florence has now lost a bunch of kids. You know they're not they're not really in much um, they're really not much of a threat or moving back up next time around. But again, if you're going to be looking at travel costs and things like that to kind of merge these regions a little bit, as opposed to just straight looking at the uh, enrollment figures, then, then yeah, there could be a couple wild cards in there. You know, North Myrtle Beach is is growing. You know, Myrtle Beach is is growing, um, not not maybe to the same rate. Um, you know, but there's nothing to say that with the development habits of Orical that we couldn't eventually have, you know, five or six Class Five A teams here. I mean, that's the trend. I mean, St. James was was created in 2003, and they're already a 5A school. The school that was drawn off of Saucasty was was one of the biggest in the state, dropped down a classification, and now they're back in you know in Class 5A. Carolina Forest is a monster. You could split Carolina Forest in half and still have two 4A high schools. Mm-hmm. You know, so at some point, 
it's, it's going to affect our area. Will it do it the next realignment period? I don't know because, you know, look, they are looking at different factors now. It's not just a straight line grid of, you know, the top 40 enrollment schools in the state. So it, it eventually, yes, you're going to see more shake up here. It's inevitable. I mean, we've got too much growth, um, you know, and outside of them adding two more high schools, you know, and zoning them, you know, like, you know, one of the, the uh, the pies in the sky is that, you know, if they were to put a high school in Forestbrook, they could draw off of Socasty and Carolina Forest, you know, just to kind of alleviate some of that, you know, but until that happens, I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of in this situation to wait and see, you know, it'll, if it doesn't happen, this realignment, I think the next time, I think the next two year block after that, I think you're going to see another one of those teams bump up. I know one, I know one thing that was talked about, during the last realignment um, and how much of a factor do you think this would play? And, and I don't know how much of a factor this had with Florence, with the two Florence schools moving down to 4A is North Myrtle beach and Myrtle beach wanting they can to rivalry. So if one moves, the other moves, how much of an impact do you think that would have in that potential of North Myrtle moving up to 5A? I'm not sure if it would, I, you know, what people forget is for the longest t- time, North Myrtle Beach was in a classification below Myrtle Beach. I mean, the, the quote unquote rivalry, um, you know, look, it's there, it's, it's big, you know, the beach versus beach, you know, theme that the, the two schools kind of feed off of is, is it's a nice storyline, but I mean, look, I mean, people still talk about the victory bell game between Conway and Myrtle Beach and, um, if I remember correctly, I don't think they've ever been in the same, in the same, you know, um, classification, you know, since 1968, 69, when the, the state went to four classifications, you know, so, I mean, they have their quote unquote rivalry and they play for a nice trophy and, you know, whatever. But, um, I don't, I don't think that that's going to be the end all be all, you know, I don't think there's any agreement that if North Myrtle beach moves up because of enrollment, that they're going to keep Myrtle beach you know, they're going to move Myrtle Beach up as well. You know, Myrtle Beach is, you know, middle of the pack and in 4A. It's not like they're really all that close. So, you know, there's, you, you can talk it to death, but at the end of the day, if it makes more sense financially for North Myrtle Beach to move up and join Conway, Carolina Forest, St. James, and Socasty, and they can, they can create a, um, a class 5A beach region, and everybody saves a boatload of money, I don't think that they're going to be wiping tears away because they don't have a in-region rivalry with Myrtle Beach anymore. One thing that was discussed uh, before the, the meeting but didn't end up becoming part of the formula was postseason success. Do you think that was ever actually on the or was that just something some people around the state were talking about but wasn't really, really considered? I don't know if that's there for formal purposes just because there is such a cyclical pattern. I mean, everybody can talk about the the monster that Dutch Fork is now, but what's to say that Tom Knotts doesn't, you know, leave and go to another school um, and they drop off a little bit? You know, what's the... Uh, you could you can always say that. I mean, people said that about Christchurch, you know, when they were crushing everybody in 1A. Oh, it's a competitive disadvantage for the rest of us. We don't have a chance. Now they're saying it about Southside Christian 
and all that. I mean, we've seen Christchurch kind of come back to earth. Southside Christian now, you know, destroyed everybody this fall, but they also have a huge crop of, of, you know, kids that are going to go play in college right now. You know, what's to say that in three years they've got that, you know, so it's, it's really hard to base off of um, success when there's no guarantee of success. You know, you can't say in five years, Dutch Fork is going to still won every class five, a football state championship in the state of South Carolina. I mean, it's not like Dutch Fork is one of these 3,000, 3,500 kids schools. I mean, in reality, they're not, they're, they're just not that big. They're just really successful. A lot of that has to do with knots and his approach to the weight room across the board. And you've got some others, you know, other programs there that are having success, having success and, and all that, but it's not guaranteed. And that's a hard level to say against, to, to levy against another, you know, public school to say, well, you've done so well, we're going to bump you up. You know, if you want to take the private schools and you want to say, okay, if you're going to remain private, we're going to do, you know, we're going to do 1.5 times your enrollment and that's where you're going to be. I mean, I, I get that. It makes a little more sense because they can recruit, you know, they do have, um, you know, limited uh, restraints against who they're taking, you know, for zoning and things like that. So, you know, I can see that, but as far as just successful on goes, that's, that's a hard sell. One final question before I let you go uh, this morning. Uh, South Carolina Football Coaches Association uh, implemented straight line recruiting for the state for the, you know, well acclimated on what it, what the recruiting process is and how it works and everything. How is it, what does that mean and how is it going to differ from how it's been in the past? Yeah, I, I'm going to be 100% honest. I don't, I don't know enough about it to understand all of the changes. So I, I want to kind of hold off on that. Okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot for joining me in. And uh, where are you going? Are you going up to Florence tonight or where are you going to be? Tonight? I, I will not be covering a game tonight. It's a, a, a rare full uh, night off. I'll be back at it on uh, next week. We got a bunch of important games as well. And obviously we've got some soccer playoffs starting and things like that. So, yeah, it's going to be a busy couple of weeks. I'm going to take a take a few days and recharge before we hit the stretch run here. Well, enjoy uh, your night off and uh, look forward to talking to you again later. All right. Thanks, Brian. Have a good weekend. Yep, you too. Talk to you later. Once again, Ian Garrett from Maori News. Always fun talking to him. Uh, you know, lots of good lots of good talking points. We, we had him on for a while uh, and, you know, just had, you know, had a good discussion, you know, had a lot of good talking points. Uh, you know, he uh, he brings a lot of uh, a lot of good points. I I I still think that the I agree with him on the the Williams Bryce thing in terms of them doing it properly. Uh, you know, if they're gonna do it, do it right. Uh, but you know. We'll have to see if that does end up, you know, if the fact that they do it over three days maybe does change uh, and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, and to Region 6-4A, he's probably right. He's probably right that, you know, because we have this talking point. We have discussion all the time uh, each year, it seems, where towards the end of the season you get into a situation where, Oh, we could have you know a four-way tie or a three-way tie. I mean, even even prior to um, even prior to you know the 
the change this year with only two teams, it's still you still had that situation where, oh, you have a scenario where you know, five and six teams, especially in Region Four, Region Six Four A, you would have that situation of oh, this could potentially you know have a crazy you know, around the same uh, record. And, you know, so doubt it'll happen, but it's very interesting to talk about. I'll take a quick break, and then we'll come right back and wrap things up right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Stay tuned. Hey, yo, you ready? Let's do it. Yeah. 
Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscobing as we have about 15 minutes left to go in the show. Just wrapping things up, have a few other notes uh, to talk about. Like I mentioned with Ian and in, in that he, uh, I, he doesn't know the full uh, meaning behind it. I may have to get a coach on here to talk about but the South Carolina Football Coaches Association implementing a straight-line recruiting uh, process. Based on what I've read, it seems it puts all the recruiting into the hand, head, hands of the head coaches, the high school head coaches, takes away some of the recruiting power from showcase events and, and these other uh, entities that do events around the state. And, and the coaches can't just you know, recruit off of that. They have to go to the high school head coach as well. So a a good thing, I think, uh, to keep the high school coaches in that position of power. Uh, Rocco Adrian was given the full-time role as head football coach uh, at, um, I believe, South Aiken. I I forgot to put what what, uh, high school it was. Was the interim head coach there, however. Uh, Gaffney has hired former boys basketball coach and Hall of Famer Mark Huff as their new girls coach. So interesting seeing him move from one side to the other, see how he does uh, on the girls side now. And Christian Savage uh, leaving his position as head coach of the South Florence basketball team. Kind of surprising to see him leave. Uh, you know, South Florence played fairly well uh you know, this past year uh, in their first year in Region 6 4A. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, pans out, um, you know, and seeing uh, who, who takes over at South Florence. Uh, a few other notes uh, around the state. At Allium Appler has transferred from North Carolina to Dutch Fork. Uh, I know this made a big stir, him posting, you know, basically acting like, you know, it was a commitment for, you know, college. But, you know, congrats to him nonetheless, and Dutch Fork gets another big-time uh, player on their team and helps helps them out. Barry Fogle from Pelion, their baseball manager, got his 500th career win, and B.A. Alderson North Merrill Beach as their manager, so congrats to both of them. Uh, a couple of recruiting notes. Uh, C.J. Stokes from Hammond was offered by Colorado and West Virginia this week. Reggion Bennett from Trinity Collegiate was offered by Army. Jamori Cord from Crestwood was offered by Charlotte. Xavion Wells from Lakewood was offered by Lehigh. Xavier McLeod from Camden was offered by Louisville and Auburn. Deuce Caldwell from Malden was offered by Arkansas and Minnesota. Jaden McGowan from Lawrence was offered by Dartmouth. Kazarius Adams from Gray Khalifa by Furman. Nick Emanwari from Irma was offered by Charlotte. DJ Getz from Dorman was offered by Delaware State. Marky Anderson from also from Dorman was offered by North Carolina. 
Montique Rams from Sumter was offered by Michigan State. Gavin Jackson from Sumter was offered by Georgia Tech. Lenora Sellers from South Florence was offered by Virginia Tech. Basketball court, Scott from Lexington was offered by Clemson, and he's only a freshman. So that's a big, uh, big-time offer for a freshman. Uh, and on the women's side, Talasia Cooper from East Clarendon was offered by both Tennessee and Auburn this week. Nyrian Bookert from St. John's committed to the Citadel. Victor Otubu from Waccamaw committed to SC State, was committed to the Citadel, uh, but then decided to decommit and now commit to SC State. May try to get him on next week. Had the opportunity to get him on, missed out on uh, him uh, to my message saying that he would be able to, but we'll try to get him on next week. Andrew Doss from Turtle Beach committed to Presbyterian. Mason Lord from Stratford signed with Presbyterian. Zane Smith from signed with Flor put his uh pen to paper on and on the baseball diamond Tyson Hall signed with Winthrop. Uh some final notes before we sign off with ten minutes left to go uh in the show. Some week one matchups. Basically everyone's schedule is out now uh for the football season next year. Riverside will face off against Travelers Rest. Wade Hampton will face off against Easley. Catalba Ridge will go up against Fort Mill. Nathan Fort will face Indian Land. will face Carolina. Abbeville will go up against McCormick. St. Joseph's will go up against Cardinal Newman. Ridgeland Hardyville will face Estill. Saluda will face off against Strom Thurmond. Camden. Collegiate. Union County will face off against Chester. Bacon will go up against Silver Bluff. May River will go up against Orangeburg Wilkinson. Woodland will go up against Stratford. Philip Simmons will face off against Georgetown. Hartsville will go up against Marlboro County. West Florence will face Lexington. Wilson will face Hilton Head. That's going to be an interesting matchup in region in 4A to start off the season. And St. James will face off against Lord. So that'll just about do it. That'll just about do it for me this morning. Excuse me. That'll just about do it for me this morning. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh was a fun show this morning. Talked a lot about the NFL draft. Uh, great conversation with Ian Guerin this morning, uh, and just lots of lots of fun things going on. Uh, next, uh, talk about the remainder of the NFL draft and give overall draft grades. Talk about uh, as we head towards the home stretch of the uh, baseball season. Talk about where everyone is landing, who's in, who's out, and get you ready for the playoffs. Uh, as there's only a couple of weeks left before uh, before the regular season comes to a close. And still lots of question marks uh, left, uh, left to be answered. 
still lots of question marks left to be answered uh, for baseball throughout the state of South Carolina, especially here on the Grand Strand with Region 6-4A. And let me just say before I sign off, that concept, I, you know, they they kind of had it a little bit a while back, a, a few years back. But having the concept of, and, and things would have to change in 5A, but having that concept of having a super beach league, you know, obviously you'd need to expand 5A to allow six teams again. But having the concept of being able to have Conway, St. James, Carolina Forest, Sockasee, North Myrtle Beach and Myrtle Beach all in the same region, that would be amazing. I would love to see that. I, I hope we get to see it at some point. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. So that will just about do it for me this morning. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, next week, like I said, talk about uh, the NFL draft. Give you the full recap of the draft. Thank you focus on playoffs. Playoffs? We're talking about playoffs? Yes, we're talking about playoffs, getting you ready for the SEHSL playoffs for baseball. Only a couple of weeks to go in the regular season. And then then the summer months. And then we get into, you know, getting you ready for football season. Summer's going to be interesting this year. We'll, We'll see what we can talk about during that time. But uh, for today, I'm Brandon Bisker being saying so long. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. We'll talk to you guys next week right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. So long, everyone.